for their own good. Don't leave orphans. Gotta kill entire families. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And we're here to talk about Season 6, Episode 6, Dark Waters. This is probably going to be a short episode. Hook is a flaming douche nozzle. Alright, talk to you next week. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the... Wait, 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 wait. Alright, joking aside, this whole episode sort of relies on... You not remembering that Hook tried to send Emma's extended family to hell within the past couple of months in-universe? Yeah, less than that. Like, three weeks in-universe. Yeah. This is an episode about Hook and his feelings and Hook's family and my god. I'm so done with Hook right now. I really, really am. Yes. So, as a reminder... All saviors die, but there's this... Yeah, like everyone else. As we said multiple, multiple times last episode, like everyone else, but there's this pair of scissors that can cut your fate, but not in a killing you way. Yeah, so Emma briefly considers using the scissors to sever her own fate so that she won't die in the visions she's been having, but then she realizes that that is a bad idea and gives them to Hook to throw into the sea thereby solving this problem forever because nothing that you throw into the sea ever comes back to haunt you in fairy tales but it doesn't matter because hook doesn't even do it because as i said he's a flaming douche nozzle yes he thinks that somehow he can save her by severing her fate i guess and more importantly he thinks that somehow that's his decision to make also, I'm not super clear on how these scissors work, but can you use them on other people? Yeah, I think you can. Where is your fate located? It's like coming out of your belly button. You just like snip snip near the person's belly button and then their fate is cut. I feel like you would need instructions for this sort of thing. I feel like it's pretty intuitive, but also I doubt Hook could figure it out. Where would you cut though? I told you, right in front of the belly button. That's where the fate is. <laughs> and how do you know how to specifically cut away that fate? I mean... Oh, you when you cut it, you cut away all of their fate, and then they just become, like, an HR manager in Minnesota. Okay, so... That's where people without destinies go. Okay, so free will just doesn't exist in this universe, then. I know we've been kind okay, of... You, no, no, you have free will, Okay. Your fate is like a cord that's attached to you that, like, pulls you along. And you can give in to the cord and embrace your destiny and, like, go with the pull of fate. Or you can resist it. But it's hard. Hence the scissors. No, this is stupid. This is a stupid plot. I remember liking this season so much. What happened? Well, I do remember when we were watching this episode... How angry we got when we first watched it. So let's get angry again. Except record it this time. Alright. So the episode opens with Hook yelling at his pirate crew during, as the Chiron tells us, the time of the Dark Curse. 
So let's get my first major nitpick of this episode out of the way. Okay. Uh, literally, we saw this. This was how Hook was introduced. During the Dark Curse, he was frozen in a time bubble with Korra. Yeah. Yeah. That lasted the entire length of the Dark Curse. Yeah, no, none of this, none of this works. But you know what? Whatever. It's dumb. Let's move on. Also, side note, just like, is this still his original crew? No, he specifically says that this crew is terrible and Smee would not have stood for this so that we know that it's some other crew so that we don't question why none of his old crew is there. Okay, so these aren't his old Navy buddies. Nope, just some random pirates he picked up along the way, which is why he doesn't immediately recognize this man on his ship as a stowaway, although he does eventually realize, wait, this guy doesn't belong here. You mean when the guy says, hey, Captain, I know you've got this whole revenge thing going on, but did it ever occur to you that maybe revenge is stupid and you're stupid for seeking revenge for, like, what? Some lady died 500 years ago? Get over it? I mean, on the one hand, Rumpel did kill his wife. That's pretty harsh. But on the other hand... He's not getting any closer to revenge. He's basically just wasting everyone's time at this point. Yeah, maybe this isn't a good use of his time. It's been like, what, 500 years if it's been 500 years and you haven't got your revenge yet, it's probably not going to happen. So this stowaway, who is Nemo, spoiler, is as tired of this plot as we are. So essentially the Nautilus sails up alongside the Jolly Roger and Nemo does what we all wish we could do, which is just push Hook off the ship to further the plot along. Okay, I do kind of love this. He just casually shoves Hook over the edge of the ship and he's like, see you later, assholes. So... I guess Hook had a whole separate adventure where he got his ship back after the events in this episode. Or... Sure. See you later, alligator. <laughs> oh, God. After a while, crocodile. Yes, exactly. Or to quote an actual good show, Santa Clarita Diet, or maybe never again, crocodile. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut from Hook being C-napped in the past to... Regina and the evil queen confronting each other in the present outside of Zelina's farmhouse. I'm sorry, let's get back to that first. I just want to take issue with the phrase "snapped." Okay. Because the kid in Kidnapped is not land. You're not land-napped. So actually he's pirate-napped. All right, pirate-napped. Okay, farmhouse. So Regina is outside of Zelina's farmhouse and she's like, little pig, little pig. Let me in or I'll, you know, blow your house down and eat you. Actually, she does scream, let me in. And the evil queen shows up and asks her, or what? You'll huff and puff and blow my house down? Because the evil queen is just trying to have sex with every other character on this show all the time. It's really odd to see Lana Priya no-selling Lana Priya flirting with her. It is bizarre. I mean, it's kind of awesome, but... It turns out that Regina was just calling out the evil queen as a distraction so that David and Mary Margaret could get into the farmhouse and free Jiminy Cricket. She is not being a good distraction. She's like, your plan did not work. Your attempts to split up the savior 
and her family have only made us stronger. Hey, Zelina, come out here. You you should also probably hear this. And the Evil Queen's like, I'm sorry, is this suddenly next season where you're giving those long rambling speeches for no reason? And Zelina's like, wait a second. No, she's giving a long rambling speech for an actual reason. She runs into the farmhouse and finds David and Mary Margaret, who have free Jiminy Cricket at this point, standing over her crying child and she freaks out. Which is understandable given what they tend to do to other people's babies. Seriously, Robin was destined for a baby death pit. Mm. So they're like, I don't get why you're freaking out. We were just saving uh, Jimny. We weren't going to do anything to your baby. That's why we were standing ominously over your baby after already releasing Jimny. Honestly, they should have gotten the hell out of there after they freed Jiminy Cricket. I don't even know why they didn't. Yeah, like Jimny was gone. They were just standing over the baby for no reason. I don't blame Zelina for being suspicious. Right? So they face off for a while and then Regina's like... Come at me, sis, but then teleports everyone away. Yeah, she teleports in front of David and Mary Margaret because the evil queen's about to fry them. And this is the new good Regina who puts herself in the path of fireballs and keeps them from destroying Snow White. Although it's real. It's... The timing of this whole scene is very weird. There is no sense of urgency in anyone's actions in this scene, which also means there's no sense of threat, despite the fact that the evil queen is, like, generating fireballs. This whole scene just reeks of, there should be a fight scene here, but we're not at that point in the season, so we're just not going to write one, even though logically there should be one. Regina says... Hit me with your best shot and then teleports away before the evil queen can do anything. Maybe she was hoping that the evil queen would throw a fireball at her before she teleported away and accidentally burn down the farmhouse. <laughs> uh, that would be pretty great. Yeah, no, that would be great. Okay, remember how last season we got like two minutes of David and Mary Margaret per episode just to keep them in the main credits? I do recall that. Yeah, we're basically getting that with Aladdin and Jasmine. They should be having the main plot. Oh my god, I know. Instead, they're getting barely a subplot. Why in the name of all that is holy are we watching a fucking Hook episode instead of getting more backstory about Jasmine and Aladdin? Yeah, because... Oh, oh, I definitely wanted to hear more about Hook's fucking baggage. This scene is maybe 30 seconds. It's Jasmine saying, hey, Aladdin, you should help me save Agrabah. And Aladdin going, hard pass and leaving. Yeah. Aladdin's not the savior anymore. And you will recall, apparently at this point in the series, you have to have a destiny. You have to have your fate leash or else you can't, you know, actively engage in combat or something. I think that's the rule. Other people have done stuff in this show without being the savior. Mary Margaret nominally saved her kingdom from Regina. The whole point of Regina's arc is that she does savior things without being the savior. Henry saved the day, like, what, a couple seasons ago? Well, Henry's the truest believer and the author. Yeah. Henry's basically God. But he's not the savior. Back at Emma's house, Hook comes in all guilty, like, acting like he wasn't just hiding the shears because... In Emma's shed, which, brilliant dude, she'll never look in the shed in her backyard. Where else would he hide them? Well, I guess he could have hidden them on the Jolly Roger. God, Hook's dumb. Also, I just want to point out that for whatever reason, 
Emma in this episode is dressed like Liv Moore from iZombie. She's wearing a flower dress with a maroon hoodie and then a jacket over that. Hmm. That is Liv Moore's uniform. Yeah, it is a very Liv Moore look. And her hair looks especially white this episode. They are going to reference Dave Andrews as being someone who exists. I'm just saying, I would rather be watching Emma solve crimes by eating brains than this whole deal. She she even asks, she asks Hook what he was doing in her backyard. And he's like, oh, I was just doing a little gardening, which is such an obvious lie. What a suspicious thing to say. What about just like, oh, it's a nice day and I wanted to be alone with my thoughts because things are scary right now. Or I was checking out the backyard. Yeah. But no, he was doing a little gardening and she's like, oh, I didn't know you had a green hook, which... Uh, that's that's not a great joke. So she clears out, and Hook decides to throw out Henry's breakfast. That is what happens, yeah. Because Henry's breakfast is Pop-Tarts, and Hook is all like, this is nothing but preservatives and corn syrup and processed flour. And Henry's like, you're a pirate, how do you know any of those things? And he's like, shut up and take out the trash. What a terrible stepfather Hook is. Yeah, Hook is leaning into being a pretty bad stepdad because he's like, I don't want you having this rubbish for breakfast. He throws it out. He's not making Henry other breakfast here. He actually does say he's going to make him a pirate's breakfast. It's just that we get sidelined before that happens. So what is a pirate's breakfast? What is a pirate's breakfast? Oof, all of my jokes are too dirty to have on the air. Okay, it's probably fish. As in, smoke me a kipper, I'll be back for breakfast. That's a Red Dwarf reference. You'll get that in a couple years when I've made you watch the whole of Red Dwarf. Okay. See, see, you don't want to re- watch Red Dwarf because you think it's this, like, sci-fi-y show. And then when I actually convince you to sit down and watch it, you're going to be like, oh, this is a sitcom. Well, it is combining two things I don't particularly care for. Uh, science fiction shows and British humor. Okay, I can't do anything about it being British. It is very British. But what you need to think of it as is not a science fiction show, but basically just the British equivalent of Futurama. That's essentially what it is. There's even a guy who was frozen for six million years. (laughs) Like, that's the plot. But I think a real pirate's breakfast is uh, scurvy and broken glass. That is so much less dirty than what I thought you were going to say. Yes. Cut that. (laughs) I will not. In the backyard, when Henry is taking out the trash, he sees the evil queen eating an apple because that's the best way to look like an asshole. And also it's on brand. And he's like, okay, new apparent big bad. What's what's going on here? Not just new apparent big bad, but also evil parental figure. I love. Okay, so I love this scene because the evil queen casually tosses the apple over her shoulder as she goes to talk to him and she's like look you're my son and i may be all of the evil parts of regina but that doesn't mean that i don't love you and hook is an incredibly shitty dude and henry's like are you gonna bring up the time he tried to send me everyone everyone to hell and she's like weirdly enough no i think the uh writers of this show really want us to forget that that was a plot thing so I'm just going to bring up the most recent horrible thing he's done. Yeah, which is hide the scissors of fate in your mother's shed instead of getting rid of them like she asked. I love her outfit here. It's 
It is great. Okay, so normally when she wears her, um, normally when she wears these skirted bodices, she's wearing them over, like, leather pants, but she's actually wearing it over a kind of puffy skirt. I like the look a lot. Yes, it's aggressively femme in a very goth way. It's tutu adjacent. Yes, this is a look that were anyone else wearing it, I would say, ooh, that's a lot of look. Oh, yeah. Like, Lana Perea has a superpower, and it's wearing outfits like this and not making them look stupid. So, the Evil Queen's like, I just want you to be aware of who Emma's letting into the family. Keep an eye on Hook. You can't trust him. And she bamps off and leaves Henry looking contemplatively at uh, the Scissors of Fate. So we cut from that to Aladdin trying to steal a car on Main Street, which has to be the worst location for car stealing. Well, he's not trying to steal a car. He's, he uses a Slim Jim to pop it open so that he can steal a wallet that someone left on the front seat. Now, That's a real dumb move. Especially since Emma is, like, right there. Oh, I meant leaving a wallet in the seat of your car. Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't on purpose. Or mm. maybe it's Storybrooke where people don't have to lock their doors. <laughs> okay. Half the people who live in Storybrooke have thief listed on their resumes as previous occupation. I have a bigger question here. Mm-hmm. When did Aladdin learn how to break into cars? Theoretically, that was part of his Storybrooke memories. Right, right. He came over with the curse. Okay, okay. Retracted. My question is, what's his Storybrooke personality? Well, so do you think he was a thief in Storybrooke? This strongly suggests that he was. We did see that Regina got kind of lazy on people who weren't Mary Margaret and... I was going to say and David, but she just put David in a coma. Yeah, that was pretty lazy. Like everyone... Like Cinderella was a maid. uh, Hansel and Gretel were abandoned kids. Yeah. So I guess she probably just did a copy and paste job on Aladdin. Yes, you're right. She probably just made him a thief too. Gee, wouldn't it be great if we got an Aladdin during the curse backstory story instead of a hook during the curse backstory story? Especially since, as you previously pointed out, Hook wasn't a pirate during the curse. He was trapped in a bubble. Mm, Would have been nice. God, I'm so irritated with this show right now. So Emma interrupts Aladdin stealing a wallet from a car to take him out for a talk. Yep. Yep. She is going to scare him straight. It's nice seeing you for about five seconds, Aladdin. We'll see you for about five more at the end of the episode. Back at Emma's place, Hook goes outside and doesn't see Henry, but does see the shed door open and immediately puts together that Henry must have found the scissors and taken off. Well, he also finds the trash bag next to the trash can, but not in the trash can. Okay, and it's true that once he goes into the shed, he does see the box that he had stuck the scissors in open, but honestly, as soon as he saw the shed door open, he knew what had happened. He had that look on his face. He's doing a lot of Sherlocking here, which I I wasn't going to, uh, like, I heard about it, and I was like, eh, but the, the trailer got me for that new Will Ferrell Sherlock movie. So, we saw the trailer last night when we saw... The amazing Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. If you haven't seen it yet, seriously, pause this podcast and go see it right the fuck now. It is so good. It is... So good. Legitimately, it might be my favorite superhero movie. Definitely my favorite superhero animated movie. Better than Mask of the Phantasm. 
Oh, God. And just visually, it's such a beautiful movie. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, but regarding the Sherlock movie, which we saw the trailer for, the trailer did kind of win me over. But, but, Hmm. I saw a promotional shot where... Where John C. Riley was wearing a fez, a red fez that said make England great again. Uh, and legit, I have no patience for jokes about that. I'm not going to see it because of that. Because of that one promotional shot. We saw Pitch Perfect 3. You're right, we did. That's true. I just... I, I never watched the BBC Sherlock and I really don't have any urge to, but that one parody... Of the BBC Sherlock thing where he's killing the mosquito and he, you see all the math stuff and he, you know, get he gets the shot just right to kill the mosquito, but he didn't notice that it was in front of a, a glass case full of bees. So Killer he, bees. Full of killer bees. I, I will admit, as silly as that joke is, I laughed out loud. Also, I need to point out that that wasn't parodying the BBC Sherlock. That was parodying the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock. Really? I thought the whole visualization thing was part of the BBC Sherlock. The BBC Sherlock did a lot of text on the screen, like when people received text messages, or um, it did a thing where when he saw clues, they would glow briefly to show you that his attention had been drawn to them. But the drawing out the diagrams of the physical schematics of fights was Robert Downey Jr. Mm. Yeah, I, I might see it just based off of the deconstruction, because I really hate the Sherlock archetypes that have been arising in culture recently. I mean, is it recent? Well, the whole take of it's one dude who is an asshole because he's so much smarter than everyone else right, take but like, on Sherlock. Right, but that's House, and House is like 20 years old at this point. Time. Time is a bitch. I was including House as a modern, but, like, Sherlock wasn't a raging asshole in the original books. Sherlock also wasn't a polymath in the books, and I feel like that's a thing a lot of adaptations miss. He wasn't brilliant about everything. He was hyper-specialized about one thing, the only thing he cared about. Mm. Also, Watson was a lot more competent than... Although I feel like uh, recent adaptations have been letting Watson be more competent. I said this on Twitter, but I'll say it again. I'm reading The Strange Case of the Alchemist's Daughter Mm -hmm. right now. And I do love that her response when she meets Sherlock is, Well, he's a little extra, isn't he? (laughs) Even though... I mean, this isn't a spoiler because I haven't gotten to it yet. But I'm pretty sure the book is moving towards making them a couple, and I'm not here for that. Uh, that one, the one line in the trailer that got me though was the, uh, "Excuse me, I'm a doctor. Heroin, anyone?" Yeah, I laughed out loud at that. I, I laughed out loud at that line too. Yeah. So anyway, we cut from Hook discovering that Henry has found his, you know, hiding the shears thing. To Hook being held at Harpoon Point on the Nautilus. More people should hold Hook at Harpoon Point. Mm. So, this is <laughs> this is a very minor point for me. Okay. But I have issues with the fact that the Nautilus has carpeting. No, that makes total sense to me. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. You'd have carpeting in a place that's going to be wet just all the time. Okay, well, if you wanted to show, like, 
Victorian sensibilities. This might be a submarine, but this isn't a military submarine. This is a gentleman's submarine. So <laughs> The impracticality of it is the point. That's how you know someone is a gentleman. So Hook immediately gets out of being surrounded by guys with harpoons by knocking them down by swinging his hook at them. It's like, you remember that one bit in Return of the Jedi where Luke's rescuing Han and he kind of kicks in the area around a guy and the guy just throws himself backwards? Sure, sure. It's that. But with Hook in an entire room full of dudes holding harpoons. Well, I mean, the dudes aren't fighting very hard because where is he going to go? As we see, he runs to a portcullis and opens the, like... Portcullis hole. Sure. And sees that he's staring out a window in the middle of the sea. It's just such a ridiculous shot. He swipes at them and they all fall down. Is he telekinetic now all of a sudden? It fe- Again, like what you said earlier, it feels like there was supposed to be a fight scene there, but nobody felt like it. Yeah, there's a lot of nobody felt like it going on this week. So Nemo comes down to introduce Hook to this week's plot, and apparently Nemo has a magic harpoon that leads him to revenge-filled people? Okay. Nemo's like, I know that you're, I'm repeating my point that I made when I was pretending to be a crewman, crewman on your pirate ship. Like, I know that you want revenge, but revenge is stupid. Shut up and move on with your life. Honestly, this is like Bruce Wayne's speech to Terry in Batman Beyond, except that that is good. Where he's like, look, I sought revenge. It didn't make me feel fulfilled. What makes me feel fulfilled instead is mentoring young people who maybe don't have to throw their lives away. Hook's like, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand what drives me to seek revenge. And he must Because Hook thinks he's the only man ever who's ever felt anything or had anything bad happen to him. Nemo calls him out on it. And he was like, do you know what show you're on? Literally every character on this show has watched a loved one die before their eyes. Shut up. You're not special, Hook. So, in the present, Hook is on the docks talking to Henry, because Henry's like, okay, well, obviously the solution is, I will go do the thing Hook said he did, because it's what my mom said she wanted. Yes. And he even tells Hook, you don't get to make decisions for my mother, so good job, Henry. Yeah. But before he can teach Hook an important lesson about agency and consent, the Nautilus surfaces. Huh. That's... Random and a bunch of harpoon-wielding dudes force Henry and Hook onto the boat. Man, it would be really weird if in literally the previous scene we had seen Hook effortlessly take out an entire room full of guys holding, uh, you know, harpoons by just waving his hook at them. Yeah, yeah. So Henry and Hook are on the Nautilus now, and we repeat the scene where he opens the portcullis cover And they look out the window and we see that shot and he says to Henry, welcome to the Nautilus. And even though they're in trouble, Henry is like, this is super cool. Back in Storybrooke in the non-Nautilus part of town at the hospital, uh, David is wheeling in some dude whose face we don't see who he found injured in the woods. Oh, hey, look, it's the return of the unrevealing reveal. 
I wonder if this will end up being a significant character at the end of the episode, the character whose face we're actively not seeing, who was found injured in the woods by David conveniently. Yeah, David complains about how it's one crisis after another. Well, David, maybe that's because you work as a first responder. Maybe if you didn't want to be dealing with one crisis after another, you shouldn't be a cop. I mean, he shouldn't be a cop, but... Yeah, also, what were you doing in the woods, David? Oh... So, this is mostly an excuse for Mary Margaret, who, shouldn't she be, like, running a school or being Snow White or something right now? She definitely should be running that school that she was so gung-ho about a couple of weeks ago. Nope, bored with it already. Now she's gonna meddle with Belle's personal drama. Yeah, Belle is there getting her first ultrasound, and I have to say, it is really sad, because Belle talks about how she didn't tell Rumpelstiltskin that she was getting her ultrasound, and... She's not really sure about what kind of role Rumpel's going to play in the baby's life. And when you think about it, Belle's not on good terms with her father either. And Ruby's been written off of the show. Like, who does Belle have to help her through this? It's weird because in this show, everyone's related and yet Belle somehow has no support system. Wow, really sucks for Belle. That's what's going to drive her back to Rumpel's arms. Yeah. Oh. So that's depressing. Uh, yeah, Will Scarlet was like seven million years ago. Oh, yeah, where's Will Scarlet? Belle's talking about how sad she is that she's getting her first ultrasound alone, and Mary Margaret goes over and she puts her arm around her and she's like, Welp, that sucks for you. Yep. Because Mary Margaret is not going to help Belle at all in this situation. She is definitely not. In fact, she might actively hurt her. Well, as you mentioned, maybe don't let the Charmings around babies. Mm. In the Nautilus, Henry is done being awed at the majesty of the ocean and is back to being really pissed off as he tells hook they would not be in this situation if hook had just thrown away the goddamn shears the way he was supposed to okay so this is where being a millennial and having omnipotent god powers don't overlap so well because henry makes a well i guess we're just gonna fucking die joke which does not work when the universe listens to your every word the universe is like ah the truest believer believes that he will die. Yeah. But I love how since uh, Hook took away Henry's Pop-Tarts, he decided to have a big old bowl of giving up flakes because he's like, well, we're dead. No use trying. Fuck you. Dying under the ocean. Hook reminds him that he got them out by doing the Wookiee prisoner gag before. And Henry's like, that was an alternate dimension. Shut up, you suck. And you know what? on henry's side yeah because hook sucks i feel like we've pretty much boarded the henry train at this point i feel yes i feel like henry could reasonably just get himself out of this situation if he felt like it uh spoiler alert for a few scenes from now yeah the main reason he's doing this is to spite hook i can get behind that yeah so in the past hook and nemo and another crewman Hmm, we'll see if he's important. Is this going to be an important third-party member, or is this going to be a Sir Kay situation? Let's find out. Or that dude Merlin was wandering through the desert with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The three men have on scuba suits, and they've crossed the water into some sort of underground cave that has a pocket of air in it so they can take off the scuba suits and act. Oh my god, they sailed into Baywatch. They did. Baywatch always had underground caves that people could act in. Yeah, with pockets of air. An air po- like, everyone had an air pocket in Baywatch. So, Hook's talking to the third crew member, 
who also has a heart filled with revenge. That's how Captain Nemo stalks his staff. That's definitely what you want on your staff. A bunch of unhinged, angry young men. Yeah, maybe maybe Captain Nemo has a type. And he... uh, anyway, this new young man is also filled with vengeance. He tells Hook that his whole family was killed while he slept, and now he wanders the ocean seeking revenge. His whole family being one dude. Right? So, hmm... Hey, Hook, didn't you kill a dude with a kid one time? It seems kind of like a familiar story. Are you suggesting that this is Liam 2? That seems like a pretty big coincidence. Liam 2, Electric Boogaloo. So we quickly move out of Baywatch and into the live-action Popeye movie. Starring Robin Williams and Shelley Long? Starring the fakest-looking octopus puppet ever made. Okay, the mouth on this puppet, I it's got like a lamprey mouth. This is, this is a hentai looking puppet. That's all I'll say. Mm. So it goes straight for Hook, but Hook is saved by the young man who's like, see, revenge isn't all that great. And Hook's like, what, what, I don't, what? And Nemo's like, we're a family. Um, no, you don't just kidnap people and declare they're your family, Kirk Cameron, in the disturbing movie, A Piece of Heaven. Where he kidnaps orphans and tells them they've died and gone to heaven so that they can be a family for him and his sister? Look it up. It is a real movie. In the present, the evil queen has gone to Gold's shop where she's... Doing the weirdest southern accent ever for no reason? It's really weird. And then... And Gold is upset because the evil queen has taken the scissors from him. So... He says to her, you know, you've forgotten the most important lesson I taught you. And she's like, oh, sorry, Professor. I've been very bad. Do you have to punish me? And it's like, what are you doing? What? No, stop. Stop. She's doing this weird thing with her hands where she's holding them out in front of her. like She looks like she has her fingers in like... A manicure thing. And like a little manicure thing. Oh my god. I just don't get what she's doing here. Honestly though, the weirdest thing is not the weird thing she's doing with her hands. It's when she transitions from sexy southern accent to sexy baby voice. It's not a voice, Liz. I'm really a very sexy baby. I just, no, no. And she's like, I don't get why you give a shit anyway. Why do you care if the savior dies? And he's like, uh, I was going to use them on me or Belle or something. I don't know. Yeah, Rumple was going to use the shears on Belle so that his kid wasn't fated to hate him or something. It's not very clear. Your kid's not fated to hate you, Rumple. You he were... will hate you because you're an asshole. Yeah. You're, I was going to say you're not wrong, you're just an asshole, but he's both. Uh, so the evil queen's like, that's stupid. Wait for this to play out and I'll give you the damn shears back. In the Aladdin plot that is like the F plot of this episode and should absolutely 100% be the A plot. Emma is introducing Aladdin to her favorite podcast. Welcome to Storybrooke. Yeah. Hey, she takes him to the Welcome to Storybrooke sign. And he's like, okay. Welcome to Storybrooke. And she's like, but look closer. It's been repaired. Because I crashed into it with my car. Therefore, you should not give up on being the savior. And he's like, you're right. That that tracks logically perfectly. 
It's such a weird <laughs> scene. She's like, I tried to run away once, but then I crashed into a sign and things turned out great for me, except for the bit where I'm about to die pretty soon. And he's like, okay. Okay, seriously though, what she's trying to tell him is that she's the savior and she gets scared too. So just because he gets scared doesn't mean he shouldn't be the savior. And basically she's saying like, I got scared and I didn't use the shears, so... Be better. Be like me. And, you know, that horse is out of the barn, Emma. He's already severed his fate. Yeah, it seems weird to be giving him this advice when it's really too late for him to do anything about it. You're just making him feel bad, right? Yeah, yep. She does tell him, like, you can go back and save Agrabah and be the savior without, like, your belly button leash. And as we were saying earlier, yeah, right? Other people can do stuff. It's not wrong. Go save Agrabah. And then, writers of Once Upon a Time, let's follow that story instead of whatever nonsense Hook is doing. Well, the thing is, he's like, I can't save Agrabah. Agrabah falling is all my fault. And I was like, wait, what happened in Agrabah that it's all your fault that it fell? And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, shouldn't you at least find out what happened? He's like, I left Agrabah and now... Jasmine is here telling me there are problems. Clearly there wouldn't be problems if I was there. Therefore, me leaving is the reason there are problems, and I am just too embarrassed to ask Jasmine any follow-up questions. Everyone is getting A-pluses in logic this episode. Back on the Nautilus, in the present day... Hook's like, I killed my father, and Henry's like, that was literally... That's old news. That's out of nowhere, and that's old news, so thanks... And then Hook tells him, wait, there's something terrible that you don't know about me killing my father. It was forgivable for me to kill my father because he was awful and abusive and sold him into slavery. Honestly, it was it was understandable that he killed his father. But apparently it's unforgivable that he killed his father when his father had another son? Apparently you're not allowed to kill people who have children? Is that a rule now? Is that... Yeah. Are we keep, if we're keeping track of Once Upon a Time morality, that's how that works now? Yeah. Remember in The Good Place when Janet tried to stop Eleanor from killing her with that picture of her kids? Okay. Okay. So no killing people with kids. But the whole reason that your father is terrible is because he was terrible to you and your older brother, Liam. By, he, you mean by selling them into slavery? Yes. Then he has another child who he names Liam. Yeah, it just seems like the whole cycle's starting over again here. Yeah, and he's like, oh no, I ruined Liam's life by killing his asshole of a dad. Well, he went through a sleeping curse, apparently, and that made him not an asshole because he felt true love for a woman who kissed him and got him out of the sleeping curse hundreds of years later. Oh man, don't even get me started on Daddy Hook. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is Hook comes by his assholeness, honestly. Also, how old is the third crewmate who's obviously Liam supposed to be? Liam too. Liam too. New Liam. New Liam. New Liam. Good Liam. GL for short. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. How old is he supposed to be though? Because like when, when- Oh my god, okay. When, when did Hook get out of Neverland? How much time did he spend between getting out of Neverland and- teaming up with Korra and the dark curse hitting like I just I don't know what the timeline is supposed to be on this backstory no you're right he was in Neverland he f- 
freezed his own aging. Good Liam should be like a hundred years old. I don't know. What is time? Well, no. What is time? Remember the whole reason his dad was under the sleeping curse was so he would still be alive when Hook got back from uh, Neverland so that Hook could have that weird resolution with him, except then Hook killed him. You're right. You're right. I forgot that they put his dad under the sleeping curse so that it would make the timeline make sense. And then apparently he had that nurse that was that nurse from Arrested Development. Right, who kissed him when he was in a coma and apparently they had true love. Well, it's not even. Well, it's not even. So you have caused me to 100% reverse course here because I was just saying Good Liam should be like 100, but no, Good Liam should be like 12. Yeah, like Good Liam should be a very young child still. Yeah, he's about 20. Whatever. It's stupid. Let's move on. So what is time? Now I've said both of my catchphrases. <laughs> so, so after Hook tells Henry that he, when he killed his father, he left an orphaned brother behind, we cut back to the past. Where Nemo is investigating the trunk that he recovered from the air pocket cave. Yes, from the Kraken's lair. Which, by the way, that was the Krakens. They just broke into his house and took his stuff. They're not the good guys in this story. Yep. Yep. And inside of the chest is a key that will, hey, open the door to the land of untold stories. Except Nemo doesn't call it that. He calls it the mysterious island. Oof, we're in a real Jules Verne kick here, aren't we? Huck looks over Nemo's desk and he sees a knife sitting there. And as you know, Max, knives are like snowflakes. Each one is unique. So Hook starts freaking out and is like, where did you get this knife? Was there a significant knife thing in his relationship with his father? There was not, but you know what? Whatever, we needed to have a way for Hook to realize that the first mate was good Liam. Did did Virginia give him, like, a special knife to kill his father to prove his loyalty? Was that it? Maybe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. The point is, now he realizes that the first mate is Liam. Mm. So we go back to the present where I guess he was telling Henry about this, and he's like, I can't ruin another family, Henry. And Henry's like, oh, you can't ruin another family, huh? So I guess that explains why you didn't send my, you know, whole family to hell. I mean, it just, ugh. Yeah, yeah. But then- They're trying so- It happened, like, three weeks ago in-universe. I know, right? All of these people should be way more mad about that. Well, as you said earlier, though, Henry now reveals that he could have gotten out at any time. You see, Henry has the shears, and the- harpoon guys didn't find the shears because they never searched the kid as henry says dude you're like 40 i know right but apparently they don't just cut fate they also like cut through steel doors well their fate was to be trapped here and die under the ocean because henry locked in their fate by you know saying that they were gonna die and he's the author so oh so he like just sliced that fate up They go to, like, the scuba room, and there's only one scuba suit, so Hook is like, you take the scuba suit because you're the one that your mother would be upset if he died. Yeah, your mom would be more upset if you died than if I died, so you should leave. True. Yeah, accurate. And uh, Henry's like, yeah, that makes sense. You suck. Later, Tater. And Hook pushes him into the, like, I was gonna say airlock. Is, Is it still an airlock if it's on a submarine? Water lock. Oh, of course. The water lock. He pushes him into the water lock. And then Good Liam shows up and is like, hey, I've been waiting to kill you ever since the flashback times. He points like 
I don't get what it's supposed to be. It's like a, a razor. Or... No, it's the knife. It's the knife that he saw. Oh. Yeah, he's wielding the knife at hook and... Wasted the... opportunity. He could have said, knife to meet you. Knife to see you again. Yes. Knife to see you again, brother. That would have been ideal. Does he know Hook's his brother? Yes. Wait, does he? I don't know. I think he just thinks he's some dude who killed his dad. Which, by the way, that is a great backstory that his dad was killed by a one-handed pirate. Yeah, it is. Damn, that's a good backstory. Okay, so in the past, Good Liam has found out that Hook is the man who killed his family. And he was like, yeah, but you're on my anti-revenge kick. And Liam's like, actually, like, you already killed the people who killed your family. And I know you said it sucked, but nothing really teaches, like, personal experience. So I'm going to kill this guy and see if it sucks. That, right, that, and that then we'll cool. move on from there. Yeah. Good Liam goes to stab Hook, but Nemo jumps in the way and ends up getting stabbed instead. And Good Liam's like, Hook, this is all your fault! And Hook is like, okay, I really don't think this one is on me. <laughs> this one is really kind of more on, like, Nemo 80% and you, like, 20%. Then he puts on the scuba suit and pieces out. Okay, so, so my question is here. What was Nemo's thought process? Because Nemo's like, I couldn't let you lose your life to revenge. But he still murdered a dude. It's just a dude he loved instead of a dude he hated. Like, he still has the guilt and stuff from murder. If anything, it's even worse now. Yeah. Like, you're not even protecting him on a moral level. Like you said, everyone this episode is getting A-pluses in logic. In the present, good Liam is still ranting to Hook about how Hook ruined his life. And Hook is like, yeah, but that was like 30 years ago. Are you still upset? That was hundreds of years ago. Well, Liam tells him that they immediately went to the land of untold stories. So he's been frozen for like... However many years. Yeah. So as far as he's concerned, Hook just caused Nemo's death like five seconds ago. Also... Nemo wasn't dead, like, that's why they went to the Land of Untold Stories, so Nemo could be near death until they could find a cure for ten stab wounds. God. But Hook is trying to convince good Liam that Nemo is in Storybrooke now, so instead of killing Hook, maybe they should go save Nemo from bleeding out. And Liam makes the very good point that it's been, like, two weeks. He's almost certainly already dead. Seriously, also, wouldn't Nemo have been, like, with them why would he have come over separately he says that nemo was taken over by hyde but he said it was hyde's fault it's hyde's fault but hyde brought everyone over in like the same general way or i don't get how hyde got every... Hyde did it yeah yeah it's a wizard did it but i don't get how hyde got everyone to come over in the first place and like he wasn't like the king of the land of untold stories or anything he didn't have like special powers there he was in charge of one dude he had like a henchman and he was stronger than normal people like how did he get everyone from the land of untold stories to go into storybrook so good liam is about to kill hook yes so good liam is about to kill hook when henry distracts him by coming back so henry comes back and he's like hey i'm hoping that this will trigger specific memories of watching a father figure die in front of you and Liam's like, what? And Hook punches him in the face. 
anyway, Hook is like, I told you to leave. And Henry's like, yeah, that was a dumb decision on your part. You would be dead now if I had left. Did you forget that I'm the most competent character in the show? We still would have been in the brig if it wasn't for me. Like, look, you suck and I hate you, but my mom's really into banging you. And it would probably bum her out if she couldn't bang you again. So I'm going to bring you back until she gets tired of you. And then I'm going to kill you subtly off panel. And Hook is like, are you saying you think of me as a father figure? And Henry's like, Jesus fucking Christ, dude. He's like, no, if anything, I think of you as a bother figure. No, don't do that because Jake has genuine affection for (laughs) Captain Halt. I do not see any of that relationship here. It's it definitely feels like Henry is legitimately just doing this as a solid for Emma. Yeah, that's probably true. Oh, then. Oh, my God. Then Henry convinces Hook that they have to get rid of the shears, you know, like Emma asked him to. But they have this really gross exchange where they talk about how it's important that they make this decision for Emma. It's gross. It's awful. Henry should be doing this, which is sort of how the episode's been playing it up until this point, that he was just trying to do what Emma asked Hook to do. But instead, his lines come across like he made this decision. It just happened to coincide with what Emma wanted. Hmm. So back in the F plot of this story, Aladdin finds Jasmine drinking tea out in a courtyard somewhere. Yep. And he's like, hey... I've decided that I should fix things. Can you tell me what went down in Agrabah? And she's like, I don't know. I went out for like a morning stroll. And when I came back, Agrabah was just straight up not there anymore. It was swept up in a sandstorm. Hmm. Yeah. And Alan's like, okay, I'm not exactly sure what I'm supposed to do about that. Right. Like, and honestly, that doesn't really seem like it's on him, but. Well, it's a little on him. I mean, you're right. It's not on him. But as long as we're following the logic of this episode, it's on him because Jasmine was going to a neighboring kingdom so that she could create alliances because she didn't have a savior anymore. And that's when Agrabah was swept away. And presumably if she had been there, she'd have been able to stop it. And she would have been there if Aladdin had not taken off. I'm also calling bull honky on that because like... Building alliances with other kingdoms is something you would need to do with or without a savior. It's like, basic princessing. Yeah. I mean, you need to make trade agreements with other kingdoms. That's how, like, the world runs. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's possible Agrabah could be a self-sustaining... Uh, no, it's not. It's definitely not. So, back in the hospital, uh, Mary Margaret is looking at those Virginie metaphor flowers she was picking with Cora that one time. Yeah, she's putting together bouquets for, I don't know, patients or something. Is she still a candy striper? No, she's just messing with the candy striper's work. And Belle comes back out and Mary Margaret tells her, hey, Dr. Whale still exists. And he says that mysterious man who went into surgery is going to be okay. And how's the baby? And then Belle tells her that the baby is fine, but... The hospital has this sadistic procedure where any mother who gets an ultrasound must take two copies of the ultrasound, one to put on the fridge, and one, if you are a single mother, to stare at and think about how you don't have a man in your life. Ashley's house must be filled with these. Also, why would you give someone two? If you're just trying to force a heteronormative 
nuclear family narrative on people? Wouldn't they presumably have the same refrigerator and only need one? I think you're supposed to put them in your wallet. Okay, they're a little big for wallet size, but okay. I don't know. So, Liam wakes up in a different part of the hospital. Liam 2, Electric Boogaloo. Hook is by his side, and Liam says, Where am I? Some sort of brig? Despite the fact that he's clearly in some sort of infirmary. And Hook's like, no, it's a hospital. And Liam's like, oh, I definitely know what a hospital is. No further explanation needed. I guess maybe in the land of untold stories. Well, I mean, he doesn't. He comes from... I don't know. He should know what a hospital is, though. Okay. So Hook's like, so you had the opportunity to stab me, but you didn't what was up with that. And he's like, well, I saw that kid looking at me, and I realized that stories repeat themselves. And, you know, that's sort of the theme of this show. And I realized I could legitimately just stop, and then bad things would stop happening. But then you punched me in the face, so look where we are. He didn't want to be in a Beatrice kiddo situation where he killed Hook in front of his kid, and then his kid had to come seek revenge on him. So he's like, besides, you know, my ship captain dad, you know, Nemo, that guy that I stabbed because of you. He would have been disappointed in me, and I, I don't want to disappoint his ghost. And and the orderlies have been standing in the hallway waiting for the best opening line to wheel in this person who just came out of surgery. Yeah, Hook's like, maybe you didn't have to disappoint him at all, and then the orderlies wheel him in. And he's like, yeah, apparently you can just wander around the woods for two weeks with an open gut wound and you'll be cool. Yeah. Whatever. Out in the hallway, Emma comes up to Hook and Henry, and she wants to know what happened. She says, what were you two doing out on the docks anyway? And Henry says, do you want to tell her or should I? And Hook says he will. And honestly, after that kind of setup, I didn't actually get rid of the shears is probably the least of Emma's worries. Oh, yeah. Her imagination was probably running wild before that. So honestly, that was the smartest way to set up telling her the truth. I mean, Hook's infamous for uh, a lot of things you don't want your kid indulging in. Right? Oh my god. So Hook's like, yeah, remember when you asked me to throw those uh, fate scissors into the ocean? Well, I didn't, and we were going to go do that, and then my brother came in a submarine and kidnapped us, but we're cool now. And I was like, you have a brother who has a submarine? And he's like, it's really stupid, and it's basically going to get referenced never. Don't worry about it. Yeah, he... I would say that Emma's focusing on the least important part of this story, but honestly, it's the only part of the story that has any interest. You have a brother with a submarine. Tell me more about that. Wait, no. Tell me more about Aladdin. So, back at Gold's shop, Regina shows up with the scissors, because she's got them back now, because, as we said, throwing them into the ocean is not a good way to get rid of things when there are so many creatures who can go into the ocean and get things. Yeah, she's like, so I went into the water and I got you your scissors. See, like, you can use them anytime you want. Here you go, Rumple. Then she starts making out with him because... Well, he's like, okay, my question is, what do you want? And she starts kissing him. Yep. And you think this is going to go in one direction because Belle is going to gold shop to drop off the picture of the baby uh-huh but she it, it doesn't end up going there she just right you sli- think that Belle's gonna walk in and see that but she doesn't she slides the picture under the door and does not see the evil queen making out with gold he's like you want to go to bone town and she's like not really 
I'm just the evil queen, so I begin every conversation with a deep French kiss. I just really wanted you to stop talking. You can't have sex with people just because you don't want to have a conversation with them. You and I are very different people. But she's like, no, but I am going to need, like, a favor from you. Like, look, I got you the scissors. I may need your help at some point in the future. Also, that's not how favors work, evil queen. You stole the scissors from him. (laughs) And now she gave them back. Therefore, he owes her a favor. So the evil queen reveals what it is that she truly, truly wants. Snow White's heart. Okay. That's this episode. You know where she lives. You could just walk in there while she's sleeping and take it. I mean, have you seen modern day Mary Margaret? No one's going to stop you. Although this will lead to one of the cooler curses we end up seeing in the show. Uh, We're actually going to see it very soon. Next episode is Heartless. Oh. Yeah. So the only things that really leapt out at me fashion wise were... The outfits the evil queen was wearing that would look terrible on any other person except for Lana Perea. I actually liked the pink coat that Mary Margaret was wearing. Really? Yeah, it's just a pink suede coat. I was into it. Hmm. Zelina was wearing a take on the outfit she was wearing, the excellent laying around the house outfit she was wearing last episode. It was a slightly different colored green dress with a leather jacket. Yeah, we only saw it for like a second though before she, you know. Wasn't in the episode anymore. Right. Also, even though I didn't particularly like the outfit, I do want to call out again, Emma wearing the exact outfit that Liv Moore wears in early seasons of iZombie. And, uh, yeah, I guess that'll do it for this episode. And that will do us for this episode. So, for real this time, our show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to be one of those supporters, you could go to our website, www.ilovetelevisionzines.com, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you can always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. We can also be contacted at ilovetvzines on Twitter or at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next time, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. It's called fate, and it's great. That's an easy way to remember it. It's called fate, and it's great. That's an easy way to remember it. No, 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 no. Shave Dad's face. Felt your kids are erased. If Dad's lip has no hair, we never come out of there. It's called fate, and it's great. That's an easy way to remember it. Call it fate. Destiny, destiny. It is real, it's just really random. It makes perfect sense. I feel so much better.